Stories passed down from the days of the Roman Empire tell of a child's birth in the far-flung imperial province of Judea, a land with a rich past and a culture all its own. It was a time around the years 6 or 4 BC when two humble folk from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, the rural northern region of this Roman territory, made the trek south to Bethlehem to be counted in the imperial census decreed by the Emperor Augustus ruling all the way from Italy. On the long journey, this weary couple, the wife Mariam and husband Yosef, had welcomed the birth of their child, a boy they named Yeshua, known for the centuries to come as the child of Mary and Joseph, called Jesus of Nazareth. The world into which the son of Mary was born was loomed over by the shadow of great Mediterranean empires, under which their people, the Jews, had labored since the days of Alexander the Great. And the tale of Jesus' homeland in these fateful years, how the Roman Empire had won Judea, and how King Herod had risen to the throne to rule the Jewish people, is a remarkable one. Since the days when the army of the Maccabees, led by Judas Maccabeus and his successors, had cast off the domination of the Greek kings of Syria and gained their independence, the Hasmonean dynasty from the family of Judas reigned over Judea as its kings. And as it had in the days of the Maccabees, it was violent strife in the capital of Jerusalem that first invited the ambitions of Rome to Judea's doorstep in the middle of the 60s BC. The late king Alexander Janius had left behind two sons, the elder named Hyrcanus and the younger named Aristobulus. It was Hyrcanus who was chosen to ascend the throne, but the rivalry of Aristobulus and the faction of the Jews behind him soon broke the peace of the kingdom and began a civil war between the brothers. When each of their loyal armies failed to settle the dispute, an opportunity to win the support of a mighty ally presented itself. As the Roman Empire grew into its role as the superpower of the Mediterranean world and intervened with more and more authority in the affairs of the eastern kingdoms of Greece and Syria, the Hasmonean kingdom had recognized the need for a healthy alliance with Rome. And it was that old alliance that both brothers now tried to work to their advantage. A Roman army under the command of Pompey the Great, the most famous and celebrated soldier of the age, was waging war against the renegade king Mithridates in a wide-ranging campaign that would ultimately redraw the borders of the eastern Mediterranean from Anatolia and Armenia to Syria, in Judea itself. During Pompey's sweep through these lands, Hyrcanus and Aristobulus both appealed for his support to secure the backing of Rome behind their claims. They each began lavishing bribes on Pompey's subordinates until the general himself came down to Syria and set to arbitrating the matter himself. 
Hearing the case posed by each brother, he put off the decision as to whose claim to support, which angered the insurgent Aristobulus, who feared that Pompey's judgment would side against him and doom his hopes for the kingdom. Aristobulus returned swiftly to Judea, and Pompey followed, where a tense diplomatic standoff ensued. Aristobulus invited Pompey to the capital of Jerusalem itself, but then denied him entry and fled to the holy temple, the fortified stronghold of the city. Pompey's patience had fully run out, and he readied Rome's legions for battle against Aristobulus's faction, entering Jerusalem and trapping the occupied temple in a siege. Taking advantage of the Jews' prohibitions against war on the sacred day of the Sabbath, Pompey deployed his battering rams that day and broke through the wall of the temple, ending the resistance with death in the thousands, and the Holy of Holies was breached by Roman arms. But Pompey's mandate in the region had been to ensure stability and security for Rome's interests, and so he took care not to antagonize the people of Judea by desecrating and ransacking the temple, like Antiochus IV had done in the age of the Maccabees. Allying with the king Hyrcanus, he commanded the temple to be purified and returned to its people in short order. With the peace of Judea restored, Pompey's work was done and he set about the rest of his resettlement of the East, annexing whole new provinces, reshaping and enlarging others, and forging new alliances with kings willing to work for Rome's advantage. Judea was left a free kingdom, but one heavily indebted and tightly bound to Rome's power, and Hyrcanus, while given the title and honors of high priest, was stripped of political power. Aristobulus and his family were brought back to Rome for display in the parade upon Pompey's triumphant return west, and kept under arrest when their purpose was served. And a new arrangement for local rule was established a few years later, as councils of Sanhedrin, comprised of Jewish leaders invested with special authority and dignity, were appointed to govern the districts of the land of Judea under the watchful eyes of Rome. Within the former royal court of the Jewish people, tides had already begun to shift as a new player on the scene rose to prominence. Hyrcanus had a trusted advisor named Antipater, a man from the land of Edom to the south of Judea, who shrewdly realized the crucial importance of being friends with the Roman power brokers. And so Antipater the Idumean became an especially loyal ally to Rome within Judea, and for his indispensable role and political talent, gained more and more influence in the eyes of the Jewish and Roman regimes alike. In 49 BC, civil war in Rome broke out, between the aging military hero Pompey and his relentless and equally matched rival, Julius Caesar. Watching carefully from Judea, Antipater first sided with his old acquaintance Pompey, 
but upon Pompey's defeat and death, he wasted no time in throwing his support to Caesar, and gained unparalleled favor by aiding Caesar during his battles in Egypt. As a reward for this help, when Caesar took power, Antipater was granted Roman citizenship and named as the official procurator of Judea, protecting and administering the land on behalf of Rome as their direct client. Antipater's ascent gave him nearly the powers of a king, and he used his office to perform public works, like rebuilding the walls of the Temple Mount, long ago damaged by Pompey's occupation. And he paved the way for dynastic power by appointing his two sons as governors of Galilee and Jerusalem, his son Phasael over Galilee, and his son Herod, who would be the true successor of his father, over the capital of Jerusalem. One year after Caesar's assassination in Rome in 44 BC, death came for Antipater, who was poisoned on the orders of an Arab king from Nabatea to the east. What followed the dual collapse of Caesar in Rome and Antipater in Judea was the rise of a new contender for power, Antigonus, the son of the now-dead Aristobulus who had vied against Hyrcanus for the Judean throne. Antigonus had escaped Rome and returned to his homeland, and now won the support of the Parthian Empire, Rome's adversaries in the old lands of Persia, and many of the Jewish people supported his cause, who saw in Antigonus the hopes of a return to Hasmonean rule free from the domineering Romans. When the aging high priest Hyrcanus and Antipater's son Phasael made a diplomatic journey to Parthia, they were captured and handed over to Antigonus. Phasael died under arrest, and Hyrcanus returned home with his ears cut off, a cruel mutilation that by Jewish law barred him forever from the priesthood. With the support of Parthia, Antigonus was hailed as the new king of Judea, and Antipater's second son, Herod, fled to Rome, fully grasping that their backing was his only hope of safety and return. Judea was caught between the rival empires of Parthia and Rome, now subject to a king whose short reign would see the demise of the Hasmonean dynasty that had ruled for a century. As he had hoped, Herod's appeal for Roman support to return the region to their control fell upon willing ears. In the year 40 BC, Rome was under the rule of three, the triumvirate of Mark Antony, Caesar's trusted lieutenant, Octavian, Caesar's young adopted son, and Marcus Aemilius Lepidus. Herod's claims met with the support of Antony, who undertook to restore Herod to power as king of the Jewish people. He was named an allied king and trusted friend of the Roman people. In the years that followed, Herod made his return to Judea, fully armed, and laid siege to Antigonus in Jerusalem while securing the rest of the land for himself. District by district fell to his armies, 
swelled with Roman troops supplied by Mark Antony, until only Jerusalem was left. And when Jerusalem itself at last fell before Herod's assault, Antigonus was captured and sent away to the Syrian city of Antioch. There he was beheaded, or as others say, scourged and crucified. And so died the last monarch of the Hasmonean bloodline. Herod had now to legitimate his newly won throne in the eyes of the Jewish people. A well-calculated marriage helped his cause, as the new king, though already married, exiled his wife and son in favor of another marriage to Mariamne, the granddaughter of the high priest and former king Hyrcanus, linking him with the bloodline of the Hasmoneans. And once in office, as the 30s BC continued on, Herod negotiated the tense power struggle that unfolded between his close ally Antony, who ended his life in defeat with the Egyptian queen Cleopatra, and the ascendant Octavian, who would now rule Rome as the emperor Augustus. Herod's impressive public works projects left his imprint upon the very landscape of Judea, beautifying the capital of Jerusalem and fortifying the land with grand fortresses, including the most famous of these, the stronghold at Masada, which in decades to come, in a time of revolt of the Jews against the Romans, would become a symbol of Jewish independence in the face of oppression. But Herod's reign was equally marked by tyranny and ruthlessness, in silencing rivals or dissenters to his rule and critics of his Roman overlords. And the funds for his extraordinary buildings were paid by the heavy taxation of his own people. His fear of the glory the Hasmonean family still enjoyed among the Jews led him to murder, year by year, its remaining members, including his own wife, Mariamne, in the eighth year of their marriage. And so the tale returns to the fraught journey of Mary and Joseph, camped in Bethlehem during the last years of Herod's reign, compelled by a decree of the Roman emperor who still wielded ultimate control over the lives of the Jewish people. By now, sometime amid the years 6 or 4 BC, the man now known as Herod the Great had reigned over Judea for over three decades. And according to the tales told by the followers of the miraculous child born in the stables of Bethlehem, Herod's court in Jerusalem had been startled by the news brought by three wise men from the Persian East. These wise men were members of an old brotherhood of sages and soothsayers called the Magi, who had served the Persian king from ancient days. And these three, as tradition tells, had seen a sign in the heavens that foretold the birth of a mighty ruler. Where is the child that is born king of the Jews? The Magi asked when they arrived at Herod's court. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to honor him. The fearful mind of Herod 
like so many tyrants of mythic tales, dreaded the appearance of a rival foretold by signs and wonders. An expectation among the Jews who chafed under the power of Rome and Herod awaited a savior appointed by the one God to deliver his people to freedom, a heroic messiah in the mold of Judas Maccabeus. As tradition tells, Herod learned of the prophesied birth in Bethlehem, and when the three magi had departed, he drew up a dreadful plan to snuff out the new life of this alleged Messiah. Marshalling his troops, he sent them on an evil mission, the murder of all the children of Bethlehem younger than two years old, a massacre remembered in legend as the slaughter of the innocents, engineered to kill the heavenly child, whoever he may be, with a sweeping act of cruelty. On that gruesome day, the air was filled with the wails of fathers and mothers, their children snatched away from their arms and put to the sword. But the one newborn whose death Herod had demanded escaped that fate. His parents forewarned of the king's vengeance by a visiting angel of the Lord. Heeding that warning, the family fled south and west into the Roman province of Egypt, beyond the reach of Herod's domain, where they stayed in hiding until news arrived of the tyrant's death. In the end, Herod would meet with a famously slow and excruciating death. Racked by disease and threatened by conspiracies real or imagined, until his life at last gave out. His will stipulated that the kingdom be divided among his three sons, Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip, a request approved by the Roman Emperor Augustus, the real arbiter of power in Judea. Archelaus would rule for less than a decade in succession of his father before Augustus called for his removal, and Rome began to impose its own rule without the need of a puppet king. Antipas remained as a local official long enough to see the imperial reigns of Tiberius and Caligula in Rome, and at home in Judea he witnessed the career in the late twenties or early thirties AD of the traveling rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, now fully grown. Jesus' execution in Jerusalem was ordered by the Roman prefect in charge, named Pontius Pilate, at the request of the local Sanhedrin, who still held nominal control. Rebellions against Rome's rule would send the province of Judea into convulsions for generations to come, until the sacred temple was destroyed and pillaged by Roman legions in the year 70 AD, and after another bloody revolt against Rome, the Jews themselves were expelled from Jerusalem in the year 135, accelerating the Jewish diaspora around the world. The land was renamed as the province of Syria-Palestina, and a new Roman city called Aelia Capitolina was built on Jerusalem's ruins, erasing any official memory of the ancient kingdom of Judea. The history of Judea and its people 
on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea is tightly bound with the course of the Roman Empire. But no less is the history of Rome bound with events in the distant land of Judea. The life and death of Jesus of Nazareth would spawn a new sect within the Jewish faith that over the decades grew more and more distinct as the faith now known as Christianity. The followers of Jesus the Messiah, or in the Greek language, Jesus the Christ. In this small movement that took root in Judea, after centuries on, would overtake even the great Roman Empire as its official state religion, and usher in the post-Roman medieval world that was to come. The festival of Christmas that commemorates this wondrous birth in Roman Judea is celebrated to this very day by the modern followers of Jesus and those of many creeds in cultures long influenced by the Christian faith. And this season of joy, fellowship, hope, and reflection bears witness each year to the several worlds, Jewish, Greek, Persian, and Roman, that met in a humble manger, in a humble town, on a fateful day in the ancient past.